friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Welcome to Tim and Friends. For this Tuesday, March 23rd, uh, Blue Jays fans, you're going to want to sit down. Raptors fans, grab a drink or something. Episode number 12, live on Sportsnet, Sportsnet 360, Sportsnet 590, the fans streaming anywhere on Sportsnet now. I'm Tim McAuliffe. Please don't shoot the messenger today. I am just the messenger. You can always interact with this messenger at Tim and Friends on Twitter and Instagram. We knew this would be a big week for the Raptors, but to quote Ron Burgundy, boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, it really got out of hand fast. We'll dive into what's going on with Kyle Lowry, Norm Powell, Pascal Siakam, just a flash. Meanwhile, Blue Jays GM Ross Atkins met with the media just a few moments ago and dropped some injury news that not a lot of us saw coming. Uh, initially, I know a lot of discussion around Kirby Yates. So he actually has already seen um, uh, another physician completed an MRI and is most likely headed towards a procedure. It's most likely going to be uh, a Tommy John revision, and um, but still very fresh with the information. But that would be the most likely outcome. Robbie Ray. Uh, have, an, have new information for you. He slipped and fell while carrying his child down the stairs and bruised his elbow. And then George Springer has been dealing with some mild, uh, what we thought was very mild in nature, tightness around the oblique. Uh, because of some inflammation, we got an MRI. It did reveal a grade two sprain to the oblique. Uh, to summarize, uh, the Blue Jays need a new closer uh, because theirs needs Tommy John, uh, likely. Um, that franchise center fielder that they got, George Springer, hoping for opening day. Um, the number two start. Uh, Jesse, do, do, do you have uh, Michael Scott? I think the only thing that kind of sort of gives you the right feel to what's happening right now is Michael Scott, please. No! No, God, please, no, 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 no. Yeah, that, that about does it. <laughs> Jays fans can't have nice things. Uh, not what you wanted to hear eight days away from opening day. Lots to chop up with my good friend Donovan Bennett, who will join me in the studio second hour. Plus, we've assembled the Tuesday roundtable, Rashman, Danny, Michael Grange, and another throwback to the old headline sports slash the score days. James Sabalski will join us in this roundtable live from Vancouver. Uh, we'll throw some of that Jays talk in there. And speaking of Vancouver, tough night Monday for the Canucks, losing 4 nothing to the Jets and losing their captain, Bo Horvat, to injury. We're not sure how long. And shout out to Winnipeg's Adam Lowry. Not only for the two goals, but also for the assist in helping the injured Horvat get off the ice. As for Vancouver, Ian McIntyre writing on Sportsnet.ca that the loss of Horvat on top of Pedersen is enough to render the Canucks playoff hopes a fantasy. Is this too much for Travis Green's squad to overcome? 
We'll examine that as well. Things not looking much better in Calgary either after they lost 2-1 to Philip Gustafson and the Sens. That's right, the four-string goalie and the Ottawa Senators. We'll also check in with Eric Angles in Montreal to give the latest on the Oilers and Habs after the North Division's first postponement of the season last night. There is a lot going on. A lot going on. The game was called off less than an hour before puck drop after Habs forwards Joel Armia and Jesperi Kotkaniemi were placed on the COVID list. The game will not be made up tonight, and according to reports, the league is waiting on test results uh, before making any decisions about tomorrow's game. Let's just hope there are no trickle-down effects when it comes to the rest of the division. Because as we're already seeing, teams are struggling with the compressed schedule around the league. And when it falls, it falls quickly because of that compressed schedule. Plenty to discuss, as mentioned, when the round table joins me. But for a second straight day, first things first, focuses on the Toronto Raptors. First things first. Yesterday, I sat in this very spot and attempted to tell you just how big this week was for the Toronto Raptors, that there would be tough decisions that had to be made that could change the identity of this team for years to come, that when Kawhi Leonard walked out the door and you got nothing in return, it was cool because he got the chips and the dip. But then Serge Ibaka walked out and nothing came back. And then Marc Gasol walked out. Same thing, nothing back. Three significant pieces gone with nothing but a nice championship residue to show for it, which is why the Sharks are now circling, especially after a ninth straight loss, allowing the Houston Rockets to snap a 20-game slide. I heard the term rock bottom a lot in the last 12 to 16 hours. For this season, maybe... But that's the chum in the water that has brought the Sharks to these Raptor waters. Friend of the show, very tapped in, Brian Windhorse of ESPN explains. The Lowry thing is this. Uh, I was talking to a GM this morning, and he basically described it as this. Kyle Lowry's free agency is happening right now. The expectation is that Kyle Lowry is going to have a new contract by the end of this week. It's either going to be to stay in Toronto whether it's signed or an understanding that that, tri- that that is going to happen. It's going to be Miami or it's going to be Philadelphia. Those are the three options. There are teams interested in Norman Powell, and, that, and they could very well trade him. I know one of the teams interested in him is Brooklyn, for example. You talk about Brooklyn upgrading at the deadline. Um, they could. I think multiple teams are interested in Powell, but Brooklyn's in there, and they have Spencer Dinwiddie. And I know Dinwiddie can't play this year, but to get his bird rights, it could be interesting, although Toronto would have cap space if they let Kyle Lowry go. It seems like a pile-on, and that's the idea. Find the wounded animal and pounce. But there is one thing that we have come to know about management in Toronto or wherever the hell they are, Tampa, on the move. It's that you can trust that there are no panic, knee-jerk reactions to something like losing to Houston. Yeah, it sucks if you're a fan. And yes, you haven't seen it like this in the regular season in, what, like seven years? But that's not how good franchises are run. You don't just panic and make a move. Look around. The ones in constant flux are the ones that suck. Now, that's not to say nothing will happen with the Toronto Raptors 
this week. That's to say, whatever is decided has been talked about for weeks or months or more, not because Johnny54631 on Twitter said Masai better blank. But here's what's more concerning. What needs just as much attention is the feeling behind the clips that I played for you yesterday. The sound bites from the leadership of this team, the heart and soul of this team, questioning the spirit of this group. Because that's the culture that has carried this team for a couple of years. For those who missed it, voila. It's demoralizing. And you can see, I mean, we lost this game on spirit alone. I'm really pissed right now. Like, we should be better where we are. The ship has got holes all over the place we're trying to patch up. I'm not really happy right now. And we could tell. Add Kyle Lowry calling a timeout on his own, asking Nick Nurse if he can run the huddle himself, imploring the troops after Colin Sexton bodied them. I know he's getting better, but Colin Sexton squared them up. And the response was too little, too late. Or not everyone found the response, at least not in time. It felt like the leadership group was channeling their inner Ray Lewis. Because I'm pissed off for greatness. Because if you ain't pissed off for greatness, that means you okay with being mediocre. Ain't no man in here okay with being just basic. So those who followed close enough started to wonder who was okay with being mediocre, just basic. And if you look close enough, there have been hints. And yes, the usual suspects, Aaron Baines has taken an absolute beating this year, and it's understandable. But Pascal Siakam was suspended for game four of the season against the New York Knicks. And the desired response appeared to be there. That is until February 24th against the Heat. Pascal sits for the fourth quarter in a close game. Same thing happened Sunday against the Cavs. An eighth straight loss. No Pascal Siakam late in the game. Then today word from Shams Charania that Siakam and Nurse got into it and that the team fined Siakam $50,000. Now those reports, to be clear, were later denied by the Raptors. And it's not the first time a Shams report has been denied by the team. Now, let it be known, I supported Siakam, Siakam excuse me, through his struggles in the bubble, so I'm not trying to stir that up again. We're talking this season. And from what I hear, the Raptors feel the same way. But the reports, the play, the fine, the deadline, they all add up to a lot of questions. What does something like this mean to Siakam in his future? What does something like this mean to Nick Nurse and his future? There are questions for sure, but they aren't as dire as some folks are making them out to be right now. That's the trade deadline in the NBA. That's how people make their bread. Listen, the gem cannot be polished without friction. I love the saying. And this specific gem is still very raw and unrefined, especially in the role of a number one or thereabouts. That doesn't mean that Siakam can't get there, just that it's not going to come easily. And it's going to need help along the way. I go all this way to say, it's going to be very interesting. Pressure is on Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster. And whether or not they think they need that help to come now or in the offseason. 
But what this year is teaching us is that that help most definitely needs to come. Let's bring in digital producer Jesse Rubinoff into the equation. Jesse, I know we put it out to the friends of the show on Twitter and Instagram. What do the Raptors need to do at the deadline to put themselves in the best position to succeed next year and beyond or roundabout? What are they saying right now? A lot of good responses. Some people saying they should stand pat because it's kind of an outlier of a season. Other people saying we got to retool and rebuild. So why don't we check out some of the responses. Lloyd writes in. Trade and let's retool, rebuild, whatever you want to call it. we got to get younger and find a new young superstar through the draft and develop model. Trevor says cut your losses and regroup for next season. Have a solid core and assets they could move to get more picks and younger players. The Raps have always developed talent better than most teams. Imagine what they could do with a lottery pick. Yeah, they don't have many is, lottery ticks, uh, picks on this team. And they're not they got to get a lot worse. Like they have so those, to lose a lot more games to get into like the real lottery where you can find a gem that's going to really help your team. Like you're not getting Cade Cunningham with this record that they have right now. No, but there's only like six teams that have worse, worse record. Yeah. So you're top 7 right now. Um let me ask you this. Those two guys sound like they're okay with trading Kyle Lowry or Norm Powell? Yes. Yeah. How many more are saying that? There are, I would say the majority of responses are saying that the Raptors need to retool. And I think that means and implies that Lowry and Powell are going to have to be on their way out. And there are only so many things in the NBA that you can do to reshape your roster. And when you have assets and you're not willing to pay them or you don't want to pay them for whatever reason, one of the ways to improve your roster is to trade them away, get assets in return, and then rebuild. Not everybody's going to have this Spurs-like consistency these type of things happen where teams have outlier years and they have to find a way to rebuild and get better eventually. And, and that's why you have the faith in, in management, in Bobby Webster, in Messiah Jury. They've proven they can do it. Have the faith that they're going to do it well, again. We also have three guys that are pretty good on long-term deals and Fred Van Vliet, OG yeah. Ananobi, and Pascal Siakam. Now, we're talking about Pascal Siakam and I wonder how much smoke is here with that or how much fire is here with the smoke we'll ask michael grange and the round table that is going to be assembled in a flash but one thing i don't know that fans talk about enough and maybe this is part of the round table conversation as well is cap space is an asset Mm -hmm. in the nba so if kyle lowry were to walk away or if norm powell exercises his player option and set to to walk and lets the the option lapse you have the cap space that those guys were taking up in order to go to the free agent market. The only question is, how many free agents has Toronto lured in their time? And is that why we're not hearing from Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster right yeah. now or in the last little while? Yeah. I mean, they've had a lot to deal with this year. And you made this point uh, earlier to me off air. There's no more Giannis. So there's maybe not that fish that you were sort of banking on to get in free agency. Yeah. Maybe that doesn't exist anymore, which leads me to one more tweet, okay? Just one more tweet. All right. Craig says, bring in LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> Easy peasy. So you can't bring in LeBron, and you can't bring in Giannis anymore, so maybe Kawhi. Or he just Kawhi. bought a house, though. He just bought a house in L.A. worth Ooh, like $17 this, million. Dollars, this so. house stuff is nonsense. <laughs> After the break, we sound the horn. And gather the round table. Arash Madani in studio. Michael Grange virtually from Toronto. And James Sabalski from Vancouver. We'll get in deep with Raptors talk. 
the NHL North, the Jays, and whatever the hell happened today. As Tim and Friends on a Tuesday continues. It's another two-on-one. Wheeler with Stastny. Wheeler, Stastny. Wheeler, robbed by Demko, who stayed with the play, moving this way and that. It's big assistant. It hasn't been there. <laughs> Hold on. Hey, I'm doing me. I'll call you back, bro. Going up top, Riley on the receiving end from Singleton. This is in the media room right now. Oh, and there's, there's, Ned Ned Brayton. there's Ned. There's Ned Brayton from Slapshot. Gary Curry, McSorley to Gretzky. Tim McAllen, friends of the show, on what has turned out to be a busy Tuesday in the world of sports. Here to help me sort through the muddy waters of an NBA trade deadline, a struggling Raptors squad, an already crazy Scotia North. Add the wrinkle of COVID nineteen into the equation, and I don't know. The Jays are all hurt. In studio, the wonderful Arash Madani via remote. From Toronto, the splendid Michael Grange, our West Side Connects, the lovely James Sabalski. And because we are doing this via remotes and all this stuff, I will set up everyone before speaking, except for now. Everyone can talk all over each other. Thank you for being friends, guys. Travel down the road and back again. <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let's get to the. Um, Grange, are you okay? I see things are going on. You're looking around the camera. I'm just wondering if everything's okay. <laughs> Just uh, hectic, hectic, uh, hectic day at the household. That's Ooh. all. Oh, oh, at good. the household. Oh, good. There's Happy a lot of stuff going on. All right. Happy to be with my friends. This reminds me of Ian Rappaport being on with Pat McAfee just as a <laughs> massive trade yes. was about to. And yeah. Rappaport looks at his phone and is like, I got to go. go. I got to go. Grange, <laughs> if you have to go at any time, just tell us. We will let you go. We know things are going on. Uh, we'll hit some oh, hockey nice. talk, but let's start off where I just left off. And let's start with Grange. Uh, two days before the deadline in the NBA, it feels like the Sharks are circling. Um, Three-point Grange. Mike, do you think the last week or two means uh, anything to how the Raptors tackle this deadline? I don't think so. I don't think that they're going to be making any moves uh, based on the fact that they've lost nine straight or, uh, you know, that they're in 11th place or anything like that. I mean, clearly, whatever they do when you're considering trading a franchise icon or your second longest serving player, both who are, you know, could command a lot of interest in the marketplace for sure. Uh, you're not going to do it because things aren't going well in the short term, especially because everyone knows why they're not going well. Um that said, I mean, I think if this team was in better straits, then maybe they'd be buyers. But I think, um, you know, for the obvious reasons, they are listening uh, very attentively and for any opportunities they might have uh, based on the situation some of their best players are in. Arash, does this Shams report and denial mean anything to Pascal Siakam or Nick Nurse? <sighs> to me, this means that the 2019 run, uh, I would put the if it, if it you know the beginning it was 2016 on the rise up from the Eastern Conference Final run. It's now to 2021. This this is it. It's over. In in Rick Pitino's words, uh, 
Kawhi Leonard isn't walking through that door. Marcus Gasol isn't walking through that door. Serge Ibaka isn't walking through that door. So now I think as, as an organization, you're not going to get the revenues from any kind of playoff push if you get in. Mm-hmm. It's over. It's over. Get what you can for these, for these people. I think the frustration has boiled over. Uh, this was probably going to be an inevitability. The fact that it just got public, a lot of organizations keep this stuff in-house. I bet there was a threat of a fine, a co- something thrown out. Pascal may have been pissed. There was a, there's a broken game of telephone. You tell the agent, the agent leaks it out. All these things happen when there's trouble in paradise. Winning hides a lot of things. This Raptors team isn't winning right now. They're not going to win this year. There's no financial benefit to going for it this year. Get what you can. Reset. Come get a better pick. Come back next fall. Hopefully you're playing at home. Grange, I know you had some clarification on the Pascal and uh, Nick Nurse thing from the Shams Charania report. What can you tell us from the Raptors side? Yeah, just that there, there hasn't been a fine yet. But it's not over. Uh, the, the team is investigating what happened. It is trying to figure out what the appropriate action is. Something did happen. Nobody's denying that. Pascal Siakam uh, did, as Arash makes, you know, says, kind of boiled over. Things got tensions, ran high. Guess what? You're losing nine straight. Yeah. Things do happen, uh, all stemming from Sunday when he didn't come back and play in the fourth quarter against Cleveland. Um, so that's that's sort of where that's at. I mean, could he be fine? Yeah. Uh, we may not find out what happens because uh, these kinds of internal discipline things don't typically come out. But um, it's it's not over and closed. It's not that the fine didn't happen. It's just that it hasn't happened yet. And, um, you know, I think Arash makes a good point. I mean, things are uh, – it's not a happy place right now, right there, right now. Uh, for all the obvious reasons. And why it hasn't? Probably CBA-related. Yeah. All right, Seaball, it's been too long, brother. I see these guys all the time. How the hell are you? I'm good, buddy. It's about time you asked me how I was doing out here. Classic West Coast, Eastern bias. The West Coast guys, always forgotten about here. Wait. Aren't you from Ottawa? Yeah, I was just going to say the exact same thing. Oh, yeah. I'm not here to talk about the past. (laughs) All right. uh, You covered this Raptor team a lot in the early days. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this. Do you feel like Arash is on to something? Are we going to see, like, I don't know if you were in, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you were saying trade? Yes. Do you think that it's time to trade? I, I think Arash hit the nail on the head with this team right now. Look where the Raptors are at. Do you legitimately believe, if you are the biggest diehard Raptors fan out there watching this and listening to us right now, do you legitimately believe the Raptors can win with this team? And if you're saying yes, I want you to pass me some of what you're smoking right now, okay? <laughs> Just share these because it is not sustainable for this team to win. And the reality is, is this team lacks an alpha, a true alpha to win. That was Kawhi Leonard. You go back, and it's hard to believe that it's been less than two years since you saw the biggest parade ever in this country's history with the Raptors winning the NBA title in 2019. I think Arash is spot on. I think this team needs to turn the page and recognize. And look, I understand. Michael makes an excellent point. You're talking about a guy that is going to have his jersey retired in Toronto with what Kyle Lowry meant, and not just for the city, but I think for the entire country. I mean, coast to coast, everybody was all in on that Raptors run. You know, Kyle Lowry will have a statue built for him someplace, somewhere, 
and be recognized as an icon in not just Toronto sports history, but Canadian sports history. So I think you have to be very mindful, but the door has closed on this team contending. And whether you need to recognize it's the answer is in the draft or through free agency, they've got to start anew. Or whether it comes in a trade, because quite frankly, I think we've seen the history when it comes to trying to recruit players outside of Hito Turkoglu. There hasn't been a lot of success luring in the biggest free agent uh, north of the border here. And I think that will continue to be an issue for this team. So I, I'm, I'm with Arash. I'm on Team Cell. Ball. Uh, Arash Madani, Michael Grange, James Sabalski. That was my Hito Turkoglu reference. Um, so, Michael Grange, <laughs> if we're talking about trade, we're talking about Norm Powell or we're talking about Kyle Lowry. Are you worried about the culture of a team that was built to fight, a team that was built with good leadership, does this alter what you're looking at moving forward, especially with the reports surrounding Pascal Siakam? And whatever it is, he was benched for two fourth quarters already this year, and he was suspended for an entire game three games into the season. The question being, yeah, I mean, things are changing, right? So, um, I'm sorry. What were you going to ask me, Tim? I apologize. No problem. I was just saying. I was swept up by your presentation. Are you worried <laughs> about the culture moving forward if you're trading Lowry and or Norm? Like, I know you've still got pieces of it, but that's a major piece of your leadership crew. And do you question Pascal's um, role in this leadership group? Well, clearly, when you trade Kyle, you're you're fundamentally altering the DNA of the team. That's unavoidable. That's why you've got to be careful if and when you do it. Uh, Norm Powell represents the history of the team, and uh, you know what's possible as a Raptor coming in as a second round pick and turning himself into uh, one of the most you know prolific scorers this year, anyway, in the NBA. So you know you don't do this stuff lightly, and you got to be careful. You're not kind of going into fire sale mode mode for the sake of it. Um, and you are kind of shifting the leadership burden, as you point out, to the Fred Van Vliet's and the Pascal Siakam's and what comes next. And I think all of what you're saying is true. And that's why I, I think you have to be really cautious going into this because, you know, the universe where you trade Kyle Lowry, who is still 1 or 1A, one your best player, and you trade Norm Powell, who far from a perfect player, but he does represent and excel at things that are very, very valuable in the NBA. And you expect that that's going to make you better in the immediate term doesn't exist. Right. <laughs> so I think once you go down that, that road, like, I mean, you know, Philadelphia, just as an example, gets, has been paired with Kyle Lowry for weeks and weeks and weeks. Well, you know, the two prospects that would come back in that deal most likely are one or two of, uh, you know, Maxi or, or Matthias Teibel. Teibel. Sorry, I'm going to yeah. put Teibel. And, like, those guys aren't Kyle Lowry. Teibel averages four points a game for his career. You already have point guards in Fred Bentley and, and Malachi Flynn. So, you know, you, there would probably be a, lot, a fair number of draft picks or potential draft picks probably late first-round picks given the trajectory Philly's on. And that's not a heck of a great return for everything that Kyle Lowry can still do, let alone what he's done. Um, so, and then you look at, at, at Miami, 
and they probably have a little bit better prospect capital players that you might be able to plug in and play right away, maybe Duncan Robinson, Tyler, Tyler Hero, but you're not getting any picks out of that. And, you know, and Norm Powell, like he's a guy who's not under contract after this year. So where are you, who, what kind of return are you getting on Norm Powell right. that equates what he provides for you on the floor? He's a 45% three-point shooter the last two years um, as a starter. So I think you got to be careful in all this. And if, if none of these trades come about, I'm not saying that is or isn't going to happen. You, the Raptors are still in the driver's seat in terms of having bird rights on both these players. Uh, you end up re-signing them, and they don't suddenly instantly not become trade assets or, or assets going forward. And if the path is to be a competitive team, it's probably a surer path to keep Norm Powell, keep Kyle Lowry, uh, have OG Ananobi keep growing, have Pascal Siakam keep developing, have uh, OG Ananobi and Malachi Flynn grow along with them, and then add to the pieces, you know, fill in where you don't have and, and the gaps in the roster are glaring. So that's just an alternative way to put it, to look at this. I think um, people are rushing to make these trades to scoop up a bunch of picks and think that's going to suddenly translate into, you know, the next decade of Raptors success. I would argue that if you're going to go down this road and these trades happen and, and believe me, I think there is a lot of smoke to the fire. Um, mm. You know, I think you're talking fundamentally changing the direction of this team. And from that point on, I think everything is on the table. So uh, that's why I think, you know, you got to tread cautiously. So let me just ask you this quick follow-up because I know people are thinking it. From where you were two weeks ago to where you are now on a Lowry deal has changed in your mind, Mike? I think there's a lot more momentum towards Lowry yeah. tra being traded, absolutely. Um, you know, two weeks ago, there wasn't. <laughs> there was, uh, you know, there was a lot of tire kicking going on. Uh, I think the big thing there was Kyle Lowry's in no rush to move. I don't think he is now anyway. But um, it makes more you know, sense. I still think there's a scenario he stays. Right. But I think uh, there is a momentum. And, and if I had to pick where he's going to go, I'd say Miami. But mm -hmm. again, that's not a done deal. Hmm. Uh, play with Jimmy Butler. I think they share an agent. Seaball, mm -hmm. uh, uh, one of the topics du jour on the interwebs was DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry reuniting somehow. Like, that's a joke, right? That can't happen, can it? <laughs> no, just not in Toronto, right? <laughs> not, not here. Not even we've we've seen that act, right? I mean, it's hey, you know what? If those guys wanted to finish out their respective careers together, I think it's a wonderful story. But um, the only way I want to see that in Toronto uh, with the Raptors is when they're in the last, you know, the Vince Carter Goodwill Tour, where they're coming off the bench and providing some leadership and character, but not when they're still looking to try to, you know be a window to try to contend. No, I don't want to see that in retirement. Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't want to see it. Yeah. Jersey retirement. Or again, like I said, when they're, when they're playing 10 minutes a night at the end of their careers, after they've had a few more years and they want to keep playing, if that's the way you want to go, but I don't want to see that next year. And I don't want to see that this year. either. Vince will come out of retirement. Tristan Thompson <laughs> will come here. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Canadian. and DeMar will, will, yeah. will join. And Joel Anthony will be the assistant GM. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> Before we get to all that, bring back Triano. Right. Get that. Everybody. Yes, 40 seconds here. Rash, what do they have to do to put themselves in the best position to succeed next year and beyond? 
In 40 seconds? Yeah, I want the hardcore. Um, <laughs> how the best thing to do is you have to make a decision. Is Norm Powell going to be somebody that you're going to lock up long term? If not, you you deal him. Right. Is Kyle Lowry going to be in your mix for the next year or two? If no, deal him. Get something for him. This is a market, don't forget, that had the AL MVP down the street and got Julian Merriweather. Right. You have you have assets here. Get something back for them. I love a rash is doing this with a basketball is Canadian T-shirt on. That why didn't you just wear the T-shirt? Like why did you? Because I gotta tie? go do a, a baseball thing right after this, <laughs> okay. right next door, and there's Understood. a control room waiting. My guy's uh, wearing us. a T-shirt and a tie and a collared shirt, and I'm thinking, why the hell does he just wear the T-shirt? I like it. But you got a like good it. answer. Yeah, I'll, I'll accept. Right. Uh, we're gonna talk Jays because there is some significant news that Arash is gonna walk next door and report on. And hockey as the round table continues next right here on Tim and Friends. My friends are here. Maybe we've paid them to be here, but whatever. Tim McAuliffe and friends of the round table assembled Sabalski, Grange, and Madani. Gentlemen, the Toronto Blue Jays uh, hit their fans with some not-so-great news today as Ross Atkins spoke to the media and told us about injuries to Kirby Yates, which sounds like Tommy John, George Springer in his oblique, hoping to be ready for opening day, and Robbie Ray picking up a bruised elbow. What in the good name of Emilio yeah. Bonifacio is going on here? Let's start with our Blue Jays reporter, Arash Madani. Arash, what the hell? Yeah, uh, the Yates <laughs> thing was pretty expected after the news yesterday. The Springer, I think, caught everybody by surprise. The strain of the oblique. Um, hopeful it's not good. The Robbie Ray one is just wild. Uh, he was carrying his kid at their spring training home, fell down the stairs. Thankfully, the child is okay. Uh, but Ray landed on his elbow. So they're saying, well, he's going to miss his next start. Who knows what's going to happen? But Ross Atkins did say this, guys. He said, we are looking to see what's out there in the pitching market. And guess what's out there in the pitching market? Not a lot. Yeah. Um, if you're talking relievers, Shane Green is there, who looked okay for Atlanta last year as a reliever, has pitched in the division with the Yankees before. With the starters, let us count the names. Anibal Sanchez, who in 2019 Anibal. did well with the Nationals, uh, Terrible last year in the shortened season. Rick Porcello won a World Series with the Red Sox. Yeah, was Ricky okay. Porchetta. Yeah, that yeah. was four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So do you sign Porcello one year, five mil? Would he sign here for that? Um, they need something. They need to do something. Um, but uh, not a, <laughs> if it wasn't a good day for the Raptors, it certainly wasn't a good day for Blue Jay fans. Sabalski, does this change your opinion of what they're about to go through? I mean, one of the things that I keep saying that we have underrated in the Raptors' experience this year is having to switch homes, figure that out, the 2-8 and eight start, the struggle out of the gate. Now, they kind of sort of made it back before COVID hit, but this puts the Jays in a difficult spot to start as they begin. At least they're starting in Dunedin where they have a bit of a home. Where does this put your expectations on this year if it changes it at all? I see. It's funny. I I understand all the doom and gloom. I I guess what it tells me in one breath that it matters for fans this year, right? After what, almost a half decade of kind of the rebuild, it suddenly matters where there's this anxiety where all these injuries that everybody's talking about. 
But I'm also coming at this of the approach, and I hate to sound like, uh, you know, rainbows and unicorns and all of that <laughs> right now. But, man, to steal a line from my favorite Disney movie, The Lion King, Hakuna Matata. I mean, we're talking about <laughs> mid-March here right now. Yates, I look at and I think to myself, maybe the Jays are just cursed with closers over the last, what, 15 years, right? But they yeah. tried to go all in with B.J. Ryan. How did that work out? He lasted half a season and just fell apart after the All-Star break and then the All-Star appearance. Now you hear, you know, Yates, there was kind of, Spider-Sense was tingling for a few people before they ultimately signed him. And here, here we are now and look where we're at. But um, I don't think I'm overly concerned just yet. I think there's a lot of bad luck here, but it's also mid-March. You know, talk to me, you know, in May if this team's, you know, absolutely crumbled. But I do like the fact that it matters because fans are excited. What a wonderful phrase. Hakuna Matata <laughs> means no <laughs> thank worries. You, thank you for backing me on that. Thank <laughs> you. You're welcome. Uh, Grange, does this change your opinion on what you see in the Toronto Blue Jays for this year? Well, this was a team that's going to live and die by hitting anyway, right? So um, I guess the pitching was designed to kind of get them the minimum and they were going to put it by, together by committee and a big part of that committee was going to be the bullpen. So that's not too encouraging. Um, so I don't think it's too early. It's, it's probably too early to, you know, panic. But again, when your margin for error is fairly slim and, you know, for all the excitement around this team, I mean, it was – you know, they were a barely over 500 team in our barely 500 team in a shortened season a year ago that got into the playoffs in an expanded playoff format. So, uh, you know, I think there's been a lot of excitement because it, they had a fairly positive offseason and you would like to think there's going to be a lot of internal growth. But um, there's room for concern, but too early to panic. Uh, a rash too early scares a lot of Jays fans. <laughs> are, are you? Are you? You here mid June? It's it's early. It's early. You're like, right. well, you're ten games below five hundred. Right. So that that can scare Jays fans. Where are you at on this right now? And do you think that they actually go out and add pieces? I don't know about pieces, but I think they got to go improve their. It, I shouldn't say because they have prospect capital. Like they could add pieces. No team is trading pitching right now. So it's, it's still spring. You're going to have to wait to, to get into the trade market. The question I have is what, is, what do the Blue Jays and their analytics department forecast the number of wins that this team is capable of winning? And do they think that they're a playoff team? So right now, when they, when they were not in the Jake Odorizzi, when, when push came to shove and Odorizzi signed, mm -hmm. that said to me is they're going to roll with this as long as they can. Now, who knows about Robbie Ray? But you see Nate Pearson, top 10 prospect. I put the over-under on Nate Pearson making his Blue Jays debut this season at Victoria Day. Like, he's been shut down with the groin. By the time he gets back up, gets, right. a, gets going again, has a triple-A has a assignment... I hear what Michael's saying about their offense, and that was going to get them there. You need to get to 27 outs every night, and, um, and you just cannot have enough arms. I don't know what their thoughts are on vets, especially guys like Sanchez and Porcello and others who are out there, mm -hmm. but they may need to go do something. All right, I want to get some hockey talk in here. Um, and C-Ball, the top three teams in the North are separated by two points. Uh, six are separated by nine points. The mm -hmm. NHL is hoping that they get back to the cross-border travel for next season. Is the North Division worth keeping around 
next season. I mean, as a division, playing out the schedule of a normal year four or five times within the division and the rest of the normal schedule where you go through the rest of the teams. Could you see... I don't know, a network maybe in this country saying, could we hang on to this for one more year because it's been glorious? I, I mean, in theory, there's a half a billion reasons annually, yeah. right? Uh, um, from a dollar standpoint, I'll say this. For me personally, as a consumer of the product and watching the North Division this year, it has completely eliminated the winter blahs. Now, I can't see a day where the National Hockey League is okay with another year of no Connor McDavid going to any American arenas or Austin Matthews, for that matter, and how big a star he's becoming south of the border. I just can't imagine it. But personally speaking, I have found myself loving it. I've enjoyed it. I know some people have suggested they're getting tired of it. But, man, what's the one thing that you crave for every night on the sports calendar meaningful games you you have an emotional investment for every team across the country right you either love them or you hate them that's what i love about the canadian division from my standpoint without a doubt uh mike who's on the hottest seat in the north is it jim benning is it travis green is it mark bergevin is it freddie anderson or someone that i haven't mentioned I'll go with Freddie, uh, just because, you know, we are the starting goalie in the number one market on the first place team, and no one thinks you should be the starting goalie anymore, and, and including maybe your teammates. Uh, that's, a, that's a bad sign. And, um, you know, he's going to have an opportunity to kind of get healthy and get orientated and maybe uh, find his game again. But he's got so much scar tissue from uh, playoffs past that if anyone is going to be – uh, comfortable watching Freddie Anderson's take the net in when the playoffs do begin and expect that it's going to end well. Uh, I'd like to meet them. I'm not saying he can't do it, but it's not going to be, there's going to be a lot of anxiety until he does. So I think the freight, the trade deadline's approaching. You've got a backup who's clearly uh, feels comfortable when he's in the net. So I think it's uh, Freddie Anderson's job to get back. And uh, when you're, supposed to be your starting goalie, earning $5 million a year, that's a hot seat. It's a real hot seat, but I think the best thing that happened to the Maple Leafs right now is Jack Campbell, and it's the best thing to happen to Fred Anderson. I agree with you, Michael, on the scar tissue, but I think the actual scar tissue from the injury is what's bothering Anderson more than anything else. And you can go 100 miles an hour in this compressed schedule and three games and four nights and whatever this North Division wants to be. But when you are hurt, when you are injured, that is going to be a major factor. The fact now that Anderson can actually have some rest, the fact that you have a capable backup that takes less inherent pressure away from him in that locker room, that you have to rush back and play, is huge. If the Maple Leafs end up doing anything this season to me, I think Jack Campbell's going to be a big reason for it because of what he's doing now at this stage of the season. He was supposed to play a lot more games this year, but when he got injured, Freddie had to play them all, and it wasn't good news for Freddie Anderson. I'll tell you that much. All right, Seaball, before we go here, less than a minute, uh, Ian McIntyre kind of wrote an interesting column about this being too much to overcome for the Canucks. Is it over in Vancouver? Well, I think they got some good news today as uh, Bo Horvat, who took a puck off his foot yesterday, uh, he's listed as day-to-day right now and could yeah. be back. But there was a point last night that they were without their first, second, third, and fourth-line centers. You know, 
Thatcher Demko has been great. I don't know if he's a miracle worker. I just think they dug themselves just way too deep a hole, and they're kind of doing it the rest in front of them with duct tape. Uh, I think their best their best course of action right now is to sell the assets that you can if there is a market. I, I just don't know how much of a market there is for some of those bloated bottom six contracts and whether anybody wants to take it. And Tanner Pearson getting hurt was a tough break for the Canucks there, Timmy. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, boys, this was fun. I, I enjoyed rounding the bases with a couple of old friends. Thank you for doing this, Arash, Michael, and James. Happy Thanks, National guys. Puppy Day. Shout out to Odin. Oh, nice. Look oh, at that. There you go. I'll shout out Snoop. I know Mike's got one. What's your dog? Axel. Axel, do you have a dog? Or I do not have a dog. Yeah, you don't. Look At least like mine got on camera. I didn't even get goldfish for Noru, so. <laughs> you didn't I, well, we all know what happens to the goldfish for Noru. Right. Not good things. Time for a break. These guys will all say goodbye, but we will say hello to Donovan Bennett and get you caught up to date on what's happening in Montreal with the Habs as Eric Engels joins the fray next on Tim and Friends. Whenever Mark Strong does the intro, I feel like I need to walk into a crowd, but in COVID times, we can't do that, so I just low-five everyone on TV. Do a virtual high-five, Jesse? All right, awesome. Uh, It is an interesting day for the Toronto Raptors. It is an interesting day for the Toronto Blue Jays. All of that still to come. Donovan Bennett on the Raptors' struggles, the future of Kyle Lowry, plus... DJ takes a closer look at the NCAA structure and the profit they are making on the backs of their student-athletes and have for a while. Dave Zirin will also join that conversation. But let's start this hour with hockey and the latest surrounding the Canadians' COVID issue. We are waiting on word from the NHL. Here's what we know at this time, and it is sprinkling out as we speak. The Habs game against the Oilers last night was cancelled, or at least postponed, after Jesperi Kotkaniemi and Joel Armia were placed into COVID protocol. Practice this morning was cancelled, and Habs players are currently listed as TBA on the COVID list, although we'll know the status of those players any minute now. Eric Engels is standing by to join us momentarily with more on the story that is literally breaking as we speak. So we will get as much as we can on this story and whether or not the next Habs game against the Oilers will be played. Staying with Montreal, AP is reporting what Sportsnet NWHL reporter Marissa Njemi stated last week. The NWHL will expand to Montreal. Now, Montreal will become the seventh NWHL franchise and begin play next season. The yet-to-be-named team, though, will be owned by the same BTM ownership group that owns the Boston Pride and the Toronto Six. So make of it what you will, whether or not that solves the problem for a professional women's league remains to be seen and depends on who you talk to. Tough news dealt to the Toronto Blue Jays today as the injuries are starting to pile up before opening day. 
a fluke accident to one of their starters, their big ticket acquisition dealing with some soreness, and oh yeah, their projected closer is heading for surgery, at least likely. Here's Ross Atkins with the details. Uh, initially, I know a lot of discussion around Kirby Yates, so he actually has already seen um, uh, another physician completed an MRI and is most likely headed towards a procedure. It's most likely going to be uh, a Tommy John revision, and um, but still very fresh with the information, but that would be the most likely outcome. Robbie Ray, uh, have, an, have new information for you. He slipped and fell while carrying his child down the stairs and bruised his elbow. And then George Springer has been dealing with some mild, uh, what we thought was very mild in nature, tightness around the oblique. Uh, because of some inflammation, we got an MRI. It did reveal a grade two sprain to the oblique. So to recap, projected closer Kirby Yates will likely have Tommy John surgery. George Springer has an oblique strain, but they're hoping he'll be ready for opening day. Robbie Ray has a bruised elbow, and the hope is he just misses one start. Thomas Hatch has elbow inflammation. And finally, Nate Pearson resumed throwing and is expected to get a bullpen within days. Got it good, and since you understood, we have breaking news from the NHL and NHL PR. For this, uh, I enlist another one of my friends. Joining me from Montreal without Deanne Bibeau is Eric Engels of Sportsnet. Eric, I, I know that we just heard word from NHL and NHL PR. What can you tell us on the latest on the Habs and their COVID protocols? Well, what the NHL has announced is that games will be postponed through Sunday, and that means that two games against the Edmonton Oilers and one against the Ottawa Senators and Monday's game as well, which was postponed, means that four games for the Montreal Canadiens will need to be rescheduled. But outside the games uh, is the concern, obviously, for the players involved. And the two players that were put on the protocol list initially were Joel Armia and Jesperi Kotkaniemi. If one or both have tested positive for COVID, then obviously – Uh, I'm sure I speak on behalf of all of us here at Sportsnet in wishing them well. Yeah, without a doubt. And we always walk this balance or this tightrope of understanding, and I hope we can all start with that the health and safety of all these players is paramount. And whenever we're talking about this, we understand that fans want to know what this means to their favorite team or the team playing the team that is affected. So let's just say first and foremost what Eric just said, and I will echo it. Uh, If there are positives, uh, let's hope that they are healthy and we can move on and have the conversation about what this means. Because for uh, the Edmonton Oilers, I mean, they were staying in town till it seemed like Friday, Eric. Do we know anything about how this changes what they've been doing uh, along the way? I don't, I don't believe it does at all. Otherwise, I think the release would have included them. But I, I don't want to speak too soon on that. Obviously, it just came out as we were holding to get on air together. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, their, their next game, obviously, would be Saturday against Toronto. And if that goes ahead as scheduled, then I would assume that nobody's affected there. On the Montreal side of things, you know, I think a lot of people are going to be wondering how this how this got sorted out with only two players uh, because it's still in that release mentioned that they're being shut down through the end of the week because of two players being on the list. So we know that the two players were Yoel Armia and Jesperi Kakniemi. Another thing that we know, which I broke down in my column at sportsnet.ca last night, is that those two players were participating in Montreal's morning skate yesterday. 
So I think one of the reasons that they would have to go to such an extreme measure as canceling games or postponing them for that matter uh, would be that these guys were in close contact with their teammates and the coaching staff and potentially the PR staff. So, you know, these are things that you like to see the NHL airing on the side of caution. They're obviously in touch with local authorities, medical authorities, the team itself. I can say this, the Canadians have had absolutely rigid protocols uh, in terms of dealing with with COVID and, and how to keep it out of their system. And we've seen throughout Canada that all the teams have. And, you know, the only time that we had a, a real scare outside of the preseason and the situation with Jordy Ben and JT Miller was in Edmonton with Jesse Pugliarvi coming to Montreal and having a false positive. So, And I also reported that Tyler Toffoli had a false positive upon landing in Montreal and uh, coming from L.A. Uh, so... Those things do happen. It seems clear in this case that there wasn't a false positive between one of these two guys. Um, Otherwise, I'd have a hard time believing that they'd be shutting things down for a week. Listen, I understand we're putting you in a difficult situation because we are going live to air just as this news is breaking. Um, But I know that the Habs also went through their testing earlier today, or I am to believe that they went through their testing earlier today and that we don't have the results. Is this just to allow also the NHL to go through those, make sure the results are there, and then do the proper contact tracing? Um, I do believe the results are in, Tim. I just don't think that they've been reported by the National Hockey League. They have to be reported to the National Hockey League by five. And for people that want to know about the process here, every day since January 2nd, the Canadians and every other team in the NHL have been tested every single morning, including on off days. So Sunday, the Canadians had a day off. They had to go to the practice facility and get tested. Uh, Family members for everyone in the team, the staff, the administration are tested twice a week. So the, the testing is, is very rigorous, but it is the PCR test, and there are hours of lag between taking the test and receiving the results. The Canadians got tested this morning. They received their results somewhere around 4 p.m. Eastern, unless there was some delays there. Uh, and, and if there were, it could be part of the reason why it still says to be announced in terms of who's on the list. But the fact that the NHL put this release out and continued to say that there's only two players uh, that are the reasons why they're shutting this down and in close contact and all that. And I have to reread the release because I only read it quickly once before we jumped on together here. But, yeah. you know, it, it would indicate that the results are, are in for the day and they just haven't been announced yet. So this is three games for the Habs if we're going through March 28th. Yes, and a fourth, including uh, yesterday's that got, can- that got postponed. Uh, Eric Engels in Montreal. Do we dare talk about what this means to this team? Because it was already a team kind of on the hot seat. And I mentioned it in our roundtable about uh, Mark Bergevin, you know, expecting a lot of things from this team. And as we've seen in other sports, when COVID hits a squad, it can definitely change um, the trajectory of a team. The Toronto Raptors went through it and they're still recovering from it. They've lost now nine straight. Does this um, give Mark Bergevin a bit of a reprieve? Is he under pressure in the market right now, regardless of COVID? You know, I think less to do with Mark Bergevin. I'm thinking about the immediate ramifications of what these postponements mean and what it could mean. You know, the very first thing that comes to mind is will this spread through the team? Um, if somebody has, in fact, tested positive for the virus. Uh, that's the most immediate concern. The the um, lag in the schedule and, and the fact that there's only basically a week to make up games after the schedule ends May 8th is another concern. 
Um, you know, where the Canadians find themselves, they've been in a playoff spot wire to wire, basically haven't fallen out. They even gained, gained ground while they were idle on, on Monday with the flames and Canucks losing games. You know, again, I'll, I'll stay what I said off the top. Obviously we want to know all the different implications from a playing standpoint. Um, right now, health is the primary concern for these players. We, we know that you look across the league, you look across the world and what's happened. You obviously have to be concerned about that. You look across the league and uh, a guy like Rasmus Ristolainen in Buffalo, who talked about a very serious case of COVID and, and suffering the, the, the effects from that for a long time and coming back to play for Buffalo. So, you know, these are the things that immediately come into my mind, um, you know, and much less so, and not out of disrespect for your question, because it's a legitimate question, much Understood. more so than the, the security of, of Mark Birchmay right now. He, like I said, the Canadians have been wire to wire in a playoff spot, and I don't uh, anticipate this would change much unless, obviously, there's a, there's there's more, a yeah. serious contagion and spread uh, throughout the team. Uh, understood. Uh, Erica, as always, thank you for doing this. Appreciate it and appreciate the spot that you're in as the breaking news hit just before we came on the air. Yeah, let's hope for better news. Yes, appreciate it. Uh, there is Eric Angles in Montreal. And again, for those who didn't hear uh, what he read off the top, the National Hockey League announced today that as a result of two Montreal Canadian players being in the NHL's COVID protocols, the team's games have been postponed through Sunday, March 28th, pending test results in the coming days. So again, hoping, as he said, um, that we, uh, we get the best in those. All right. Time for a break. Tim and Friends continues with our old friend Donovan Bennett in studio after the break. Will Kyle Lowry be a Raptor by this time Thursday or will he be a Raptor by the end of the show? We will discuss with DJ after the break right here on Tim and Friends. Tim and Friends on Sportsnet, the family of channels. And I welcome, do I call you first friend? Are you first? Fr- you were like the first in your life. No. Come on. Oh, you mean on the show? Come on, homie. I mean, like, I think- you know me as a human being. Like I-, I met you at what? Like thirty? How old was I when I met you? I was just. Clarifying. What are you saying? I was just clarifying. You think I'm Sid? What the hell no, are we talking about here? I was just clarifying. Okay. Sid's wife is his first friend. <laughs> um, no, I think Jesse would be the first friend, right? He's a mainstay. He's here all the time. He's consistent. But hold on. He but- is. He is. <laughs> He is the – there's two guys mm-hmm. on every NCAA bench. Yeah. There is the guy who's doing the crazy bench reacts. Right. Walk on, got the scholarship year three. For his three. energy, yeah. Yeah, and everyone went, went nuts. Mm-hmm. And then there's the, the assistant coach that is doing – sorry, audio people – that is doing this. <laughs> One stop! One stop! Like, mm-hmm. the, we don't need the clapping. Thank yeah. you. We know. It's a second it's, – it's a second minute of – the second half. Are you getting we need to more which, than one stop? Are you getting to which one Jesse is? Yeah, he's the he's the guy, the sixth man who comes off, just gives you buckets. I'd much prefer that. Buckets. Right. Yeah, oh, okay. that's Jesse. I'll take that, that. So he was the third. He was neither of the first two, and I interrupted you before you could get to what Jesse was. Correct. Yeah. So he is he is uh, Mike James. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Does, Lou Williams does a thousand sit-ups a day and gives you buckets. I am the annoying bench reacts guy. That's me. That's me. The the three. The right. Yeah, I know the guy. Yeah, the arrow. Uh, the or, side, yeah. or the new. I don't have a towel, but the like throw the towel in the air guy. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> and that's and me. then dance after. That's me. You know who right. I don't want to be? 
I don't want to be, and this is what I do, Canada. I just filibuster. I just steal the show. We have a lineup. We have things planned. Doesn't matter. You know who I don't want to be? Philip filibuster. Yeah, yeah. It's in politics and stuff. That, that used know, to be known as Sid, but go ahead. Wow. That, I think that's 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 <laughs> called a, a hot take that quickly becomes a cold take. Um, I don't want to be. There's a couple people I don't want to be. Okay. I don't want to be the the child that's crying. In the stands. And my wife's like, well, what if, like, that's her sibling that lost? Life gets tougher than a second round exit, okay? Okay, yeah. So, so I don't want to be the child that's crying. I don't want to be the cheerleader that's crying. Like, oh, yeah. It's it, tough, we don't man. have them this year for, because of COVID, is real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you got a free trip to Greensboro, Sydney, okay? <laughs> Why are you crying? Life Sid- is fine. Greensboro, you're, Sydney. Well, <laughs> you're on scholarship. Because you are cheerleaders, cheerleaders on scholarship? They certainly are. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, everybody's. On, we got money to have cheerleaders on scholarship. Can't pay the players, but we got cheerleaders on scholarship. Cheerleaders are the real athletes, though. They deserve their scholarships, but just don't cry because you missed the putback at the bus. Got you. Yeah, those are the people I don't want to be. Sorry, what are we here to talk about? Again? Anything? Well, we're gonna talk. We're gonna talk about the NCAA in a flash. But there's a lot there, and I just wanted to get back to something. What are you writing? And what I, could you possibly be writing? I wrote first friend. Oh, right. And that's, it was, that's what we were talking about. It was out of respect Thank that you. I called you the first friend. It was out of respect that I put you as the first guest on the first show of Tim and Friends, and then you come on here on this your second appearance in Tim and Friends. And you pass off the first friend as if it means nothing. And I'm, I'm, to be frank, I'm heartbroken. Like, where is the Donovan Bennett that gave me the going away speech at the score when we were doing our final game together on OUA Rush or whatever the hell we were calling it at that time? Where did that guy go and who has he been replaced with sitting here looking all suave and sophisticated with a child at home? Love OUA Rush. Great graphics package. Great music. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, the transition. Loved it. Yeah. Um, listen, I was the first friend. I bat lead off. I'm seeing a lot of pitches. I'm fouling them off. Just workshopping some things. But I think the, the, the person who had the title, maybe chief friend, right? Previous show had global ambassador. Right. Maybe the chief friend. Should be Jesse. That's all I'm saying. Can we, Chiron? Can we get a, a key chief friend? I think right? you, I think you're just trying to get someone on your side for this conversation, <laughs> and you're doing it well because you go to the guy who's the only person in this room outside of Seb. Seb, if you want to speak up and tell Donovan he's wrong, you can. He didn't. Oh, I'm out of the picture. So, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, the camera. So the camera it. person, uh, Sebastian, right that's a good looking Just shot put right Jesse there. and Donovan in the picture to wow. tell me that I'm wrong. So I here I was thought I was giving you respect as the first uh, friend of the show, and then calling you the first friend, and this is what I get in return. All right, let's talk Raptors uh, because we're going to talk about the NCAA Do in seven to? minutes and forty six seconds. Have to, yeah, we have to. All These right. are the tough times, Donovan. This they is are. when people want to know. The best ratings this show ever got in any one of its iterations when was when the Toronto Maple Leafs backed the 18-wheeler up off the cliff. The Toronto Raptors feel like they're doing the same thing right now with their ninth straight loss to a team that had lost 20 straight coming in. And frankly, it wasn't even that close throughout the game yesterday. And this is a couple of days before the deadline and Kyle Lowry's 35th birthday. Yes, we have to talk about the Toronto Raptors. Yeah, you mentioned the Rockets' loss um, where Coach Silas 
his previous post game, he looked like he wanted to retire in his first year. He was, cry- he was fighting <laughs> tears yes. in his previous post game appearance. Yeah, that's okay. The Raptors are are on the schedule next. They're, they've become homecoming for the NBA, evidently. Like I, to me, the, the the bottom was the Cleveland game when Colin Sexton, aka Young Bull, bodied uh, you. Well, and he was just like defending champs. Like not anymore. I don't care. I'm talking smack to your whole bench. That to me, when it was like, oh, this, this is this is not in a good place, and I, and I don't really like the fact that there's only really two guys wanting to have that conversation. Uh, one of them is in trade talk and Norm, and the other was was Fred. Um, I, you mentioned the Leafs. It's, it's funny you went there. To me, it's the Jays. We're in Shea Hillenbrand, Chip B. Sinkin territory. Like this is kind of where we're at. No. And I should say this, because there's lots of talk. There's, there's some Maasai slander online. There's some Lowry love and slander online. There is a segment of this fan base that is a little bit new money. Like, don't, they don't really yeah. remember. Like, this is somewhat bad. No, it's been much, much worse, yeah. right? Let's keep it all in perspective. You, you have champagne taste because you went to a watch party a couple summers ago, had fun, now you're a Raptors fan. Like, no, no. This franchise, this this is not a problem for for this franchise, but now that we're here and we have championship aspirations, we have to have some real championship conversations. And you guys alluded to it in the roundtable. How far away is this team from a championship? And if they're not close, and if they're not a couple moves away, or not playing abroad away, or not having your team ravaged by COVID away, well then, if that's now the standard. Mm-hmm. Not not the floor, but the, but the ceiling for everybody. Well, then, yeah, things in life worth doing are hard. And you might have to make some hard decisions without sentiment about getting back to that championship level. And I think that's a fair conversation. Anyone who says they should certainly explore trading Norm or, or trading Kyle, um, there's lots of validity to that conversation. You shouldn't be dragged for, for feeling that way. So then the Maasai slander... While I understand a lot of it is new money and a lot of it is new fans and a lot of it didn't see Hito Turkoglu and didn't watch <laughs> Chris Bosch get wasted and then just walk, like I get a lot of what you didn't see. But let's be honest here. Bobby Webster and Masai Ujiri gambled on being able to get Giannis Attentacompo. And what happened because of it was Serge walked. You knew Gasol was leaving. But Serge walked, and Aaron Baines was the only answer, along with Chris Boucher, who's tried his damnedest. But the one big weakness, the glaring weakness of this team, is the defense and the rebounding, and that was part of the calculated risk taken by management to try and go get Giannis Attentacumpo. So it is not complete. The job is not done, but... That was a big swing and a miss, and they have the cap space still remaining on this team to fill those holes. We heard Nick Nurse talking about those holes on Friday before the game against Utah. So for me, some of that is warranted, and I want to see what you're doing now before Thursday and in the offseason with all that cap space and what you're doing with here's – the, here's the truth. Here's the real talk. Okay, and I don't know if you're even ready for this. Okay. <laughs> Kyle is a great 2-3. Okay. Pascal is a great 2-3. Yes. And Fred Van Vliet is a really good 2-3-4. Okay. Okay? 
You don't have a one. Mm-hmm. Kawhi Leonard was a one, mm-hmm. and he walked out that door. You took a swing at another one with Giannis Antetokounmpo. Now how the hell are you going to go get a one because you built the team with these twos and threes? So a, a couple things. There's a lot there. Um, I want to go in order so I don't forget anything. Uh, yeah, okay, some people are saying you took a calculated risk. You made a bet. The honest thing didn't play out. That's fine. Keep that same energy because Kawhi Leonard was a calculated risk and it was a bet. And last time I checked, right. when you're talking about bets, long odds pay long money. And so you're, you're not, you're not going to win on all of those bets. So anyone who's now mad at this team because they didn't get Giannis, were you saying that when you were singing Drake Grace, when they were rumored to, to be you know, the, the, the destination for Giannis for the last couple summers? So that's one. Number two, you are 100% right that they have some twos and threes, some fours. They, they, they actually might lead the league in Kelly Rollins. They don't have a Beyonce. They don't have a Beyonce. And listen, the Beyonce is the toughest part. Yeah, Beyonce is, there's not That's a lot t- of Beyonce. There is not yeah. a lot there's of Beyonce. There's Alicia, there's Beyonce, right? So you got Giannis. I don't even know if Giannis is, the, I don't even, I'm not even convinced Giannis is a one yet. Ooh. Although I think surrounded by enough good, this is what we learned from Kyle Lowry being Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan, and then Kyle Lowry, the understanding with Kawhi Leonard, changed the view of Kyle Lowry. And I think that's really important to remember right now in this moment. Well, I I think the other thing is... LeBron James is the only Beyonce right now. Well, I mean, I think Stephen Wardell Curry is a Beyonce. Yeah. Excuse me? Yeah. Three titles? Two MVPs? I know, one but unanimous? You, sur- you surrounded him with pieces. I don't know if he could do it on his own. Didn't we see that? Like LeBron he, can do it on his own. What do you, what, what, he didn't win before Kevin Durant got there? But he Clay Thompson's pretty good. Is Draymond Clay, Green is good. Is Clay Thompson a Beyonce? Like, uh, fine. Then no, but Steph think- Curry is RZA. And he's on Wu-Tang. <laughs> Whatever. The point is, he's the guy that... that Kind of makes the secret sauce. He's the leader of the band. Point Understood. Is, I, y- I agree you, with that. You brought me to a place, and and you may not want to hear it, but I'm going to go there. Let's start tanking in Tampa. Let's do it. They are as close, oh. two and a half games from a from a top four seed than they are a play in. Mm-hmm. Which would you prefer? I got you. This is a hard out in 20 seconds. Jalen Suggs would be nice, and I my guy Cade would be nice. The culture that you built. Aren't you worried about that if you start tanking? I just think Masai has always wanted to actually build, and he's never had that opportunity. And this mess might give him that opportunity. Uh, we're going to take the break. Like I said, it's a hard out. We will continue on Sportsnet 360, Sportsnet 590, the fan, in 60 seconds. Uh, we may continue this conversation. We'll also look at the exploitation of student athletes by the NCAA. Dave Zirin will join the conversation. Meantime, Hockey Central is coming your way on Sportsnet. DJ and I back on 360 and 590 in 60 seconds. More Beyonce talk? Let's, let's rate our Beyonce's here. Come on. It's Tim McCallum fan, friends of the show here on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet 590. The fan promise we'll be back in 60 seconds. Also promise we will get to the Beyonce's of the NBA mm. in the final segment. But I know you did some work before you came in here, and it's the madness of March in a different way. It is. And listen, I love 
March Madness. I love the tournament. I love the buzzer beezers, the upsets. But sometimes when you love things, you want them to be better, right? And I, I love the NCAA and what it brings me from entertainment, but I also want it to be better in terms of its student-athletes. And what, one thing the pandemic has done for all of us is it's revealed some cracks in maybe the way we did things before, and maybe we can hope to do them better. So I voiced this piece maybe just begging the NCAA took a look at some of the ways they're not good and ways they could easily be better. I wrote it last night. I voiced it earlier today. And because we work in television, I haven't seen it yet. So we will watch it together, Canada. <laughs> when keeping it real goes wrong, sometimes in life you tell on yourself. Greg McDermott was keeping it 100 when he told his team after a loss this year, I need everybody to stay on the plantation I can't have anybody leave the plantation. Four days after being banned for his plantation comments, the crating coach was reinstated. Now they're in the Sweet 16, but the dynamic leaves a sour taste in my mouth. No, it might not be as bad as Oklahoma State football coach Mike Gundy wearing a One America News t-shirt, but the slip of the tongue wasn't a good look. Not solely because it was racially insensitive, because it was true. NCAA players are business employees who aren't paid, which is why players in the tournament have got the hashtag not NCAA property trending. You know how I know college basketball is a business? It's because we're starting to have disruptors to that business because the obvious legacy business model isn't working. The NBA debuted its G League Ignite team this year, which pays select high school players six-figure salaries to skip college and cash out when their jumpers are cash. Last week, the overtime media company announced plans to pay up to 30 16- to 18-year-olds 100 k minimum to participate in their league. The venture includes famous one-and-dones Carmelo Anthony and Kevin Durant as investors and serves as competition for the Professional Collegiate League, another alternative for five-star recruits. Even the NAIA is allowing players to make money off their name and likeness. Look around the Sweet 16. There aren't many one-and-dones in the second weekend because the best kids have realized their power. And it's not just to lead a team deep in the tourney so your coach and AD can get deep pockets. The business model was a monopoly. The last time a monopoly included exploiting the bodies of majority black laborers, we called it slavery. And it happened on a plantation. So Greg McDermott's comments weren't solely harmful because they were racially insensitive. They were harmful because they were true. All the pandemic has done is put in perspective how much of a business this is. The NCAA trademarked battle in the bubble. If there's money to be made, they'll find a way to make it. The players in the tourney, both stars and walk-ons, are under strict quarantine. They're not allowed to leave the room unless they're going to the arena to generate revenue. We had four standby teams that had to quarantine just for the right to make their schools money if another team was ravaged by COVID. No other student has been on a plane during the pandemic to make money for their school. In fact, non-essential travel is banned for school employees. But this is essential travel because billions of dollars are at stake. But the billions in sales of their jerseys that happen on campus and in arena are not revenue shared. Every student on campus gets to make money off their likeness except the student athlete. And no, no, the scholarship isn't their payment. If you're a student actor, artist, a concert pianist, you can make money regardless of whether or not you're on scholarship. 
college athletes have limited say, limited movement, and no representation. Don't get me wrong, these players want to play and risk it all, but they also want to get paid. So don't act like this is about what's in their best interest. I'm sure the marching band members and the cheerleaders wanted to punch their ticket to the dance as well, but guess what? They're at home because they don't make anybody money. In fact, everybody is making money on this tournament. Coaches, administrators, media outlets, sponsors, including you at home who entered a pool and bet on it. Except for the actual product, the players. Labor without representation and compensation while risking your health? Sounds like a plantation to me. Great job, Donovan. And I love the non-essential travel. Like that's <laughs> that that to me says most of it. And as I said on Friday when I was talking about a very similar topic, I, I said it's okay to enjoy it, just understand it. And that's a great way to put it for many. Uh listen, to help us along with this conversation, uh, we have enlisted the sports editor of the nation, host of Edge of Sports Podcast, co-host of the collision, all these things represent Dave Zirin, who is our next guest here on Tim and Friends. And Dave, I I don't want to build to the high. Let's start with fire. Is this in the last year and a half in the Supreme Court and all the things that we have talked around around the NCAA, the beginning of the end? Well, first of all, let me just say that that opening segment was so fantastic. I feel like every point I want to make (laughs) has been made. So Donovan... You know, the figurative hat tip to you, sir. Uh, But second of all, yes, uh, the boat is taking on water right now. That is a big shark, and they are not equipped to handle it. Uh, It's Partly it's competition coming from other directions. Partly it's because you have this really interesting alignment in the United States of elements of the left wing and the right wing in terms of government who've come together in different states to say these college athletes have the right to their name, image, and likeness. I mean, the... Federal government right now has, I would argue, a figurative knife to the throat of the NCAA. Change is coming, whether they want it or not, and we know that they don't. So, how far could this go? You know, there was a point in North America when horse racing and boxing were Mm -hmm. the sports, and now they're not as relevant. Could we get to a place where big time NCAA sports aren't as relevant unless they change? You see, what, what they're protected. I mean, there's an aspect of their business model that at least in the short term is bulletproof. The NCAA, their television contract, uh, which runs the next dozen years or so, is insanely profitable. It's worth about $9 billion. And as long as that's locked in place, they have money whether we choose to boycott or not, whether we raise our voice against it or not, whether we buy tickets or not. They are locked in with TV revenue so they can financially survive But if we're talking about like the existential threat, like where are they going to be in 20 years, where are they going to be in 30 years, they should be extremely worried right now. I mean, you mentioned it, but like horse racing, boxing in 1950, you know, that's where you went. You know, that's where you hung out. You wore a nice hat, a suit. You went to the races. (laughs) You know, those days are dead as broiled chicken. So we have, have 30 years from today. What we're talking about is an NCAA that might be looking up at entities that you mentioned in your report, like the Professional Collegiate League, which was started by David West. And he's been a tremendously outspoken person against the depravities of the NCAA. It's interesting here, and Dave Zion is joining us here on on Tim and Friends, because I see our piece on NCAA basketball, and, and both Donovan and I and you can see 
um, opponents to what it is or offering whether it's a European contract or contracts within the United States that will pull one and doneers to professional basketball as opposed to Duke or North Carolina. Is it going to be harder to crack NCAA football because they are essentially the minor league of the pros? By far. I mean, it is the stronger pipeline, and that's why it's so much more lucrative uh, for the coaches involved. I mean, those coaches aren't just coaches. They are minders of a system where they then have a tremendous amount of power in the pipeline about whether or not their players go on to the pros. And they are paid to be that person. They're paid to be the most you know, well-heeled person on campus, more powerful than the school president. I mean, it comes with a power to keep this thing in cartel mode so there aren't other avenues for these players. You know, I, I recently looked up, I was curious about this, how much Danny Ford made in 1981. He was the head coach of Clemson when they won the national championship. 1981, in my lifetime, Danny Ford made 50 grand. <laughs> Dabo Swinney makes dang near $10 million as the head coach of Clemson. So how did this $50,000 a year job become a $10 million a year job? That's how it happened. Man, that's great. I wonder if we've been talking about this up here, Dave, and I'll ask Donovan this because he's a fan of the CFL like I am. Do you wonder if that's where the CFL and the XFL might be trying to come together is to create a legitimate um, minor league that might be able to unseat the NCAA a little bit? Yeah, you, you'd think so, and I, I think there's some credence to that. I think the problem is that uh, let's just say maybe some NCAA players – are being paid salaries that are more than CFL salaries is not being paid on the books. And that's, to me, the, the flaw in this argument when you say, well, we can't pay the players. Well, someone's paying a lot of them right now. Yeah. So yeah, you're finding some it. money from yeah. somebody. You mentioned uh, you know, Dabo Sweeney and his contract, and I think of you know, the lavish locker rooms and facilities they have. These are, quote-unquote, non-for-profits, right? They're not making mm-hmm. profit, evidently. Uh, isn't there a way to disperse this money a little bit more evenly so the players could benefit in some of the riches? The money is there. I mean, the NCAA, it's like that scene in The Simpsons where Smithers and Mr. Burns are throwing money at each other and saying <laughs> money fight, money fight. Like there's there's literally enough money that Alabama's weight room is nicer looking than NFL weight rooms. I mean, simple as that. Alabama's technology in terms of what it put its, puts its players through is more developed than things I've seen in NFL locker rooms. I mean, this is the amount of money that they're sitting upon. And it's why you have a situation now where it's not just the head coaches making eight, nine, ten million dollars a year. Top assistant coaches, two, three million dollars a year. If a coach isn't good, like we just saw at Texas with Tom Herman, you know, write him a check for ten, twelve million dollars so they'll just go away. And then you bring in another coach like Steve Sarkeesian. So the the way it is set up right now is that it is so lucrative to be on the top of this particular mountain, and colleges are going to pay out the nose, state universities are going to pay out the nose for these coaches. And that's why we have a situation right now. The last I checked it, it's something like in 43 of the 50 states in the United States, uh, the most, the highest paid public official, quote unquote, public employee is the head coach at the state college. You know, so our, our entire priority system needs to be absolutely turned right side up because now it is upside down, head in the ground. You know, one of the the many reasons that you hear, oh, well, we can't pay the players other than it's amateur, it's pure, um, is, oh, well, but Title IX, if we paid the men's players, we'd have to pay the women, and it, would, it wouldn't be balanced. 
But the NCAA is not even getting Title IX correctly. You can't even get weights yeah. over 30 pounds for the women. Why is it that we're seeing the influence of the female players showcasing how bad the NCAA is in basic equality, uh, and they can't get that right as well? Is, is that even a bigger problem for them at this point? Well, yeah, and it's, it's interesting. Like I, I was talking with someone about is the NCAA in some odd way partly relieved about this scandal involving the women's players because it's taken attention away from hashtag not NCAA property. And it's something that they could easily remedy uh, with, with with a call to uh, one of the, I think it was what was it Dick Sporting Goods or yeah. one of the places sent sent it out there. I mean, I mean the NCAA, but I view it more like it's taking on water from all sides. It can't d- get Title IX right. It misrepresents a lot of the arguments about Title IX would be protected if in revenue producing sports players got a piece of that revenue. And we already mentioned the coaching salaries. The money is there. To make that a reality and fully fund all sports, including women's sports. It's how the NCAA chooses to allocate its money. Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, makes $4 million a year. You know, he's got a dozen vice presidents who make six figures. I mean, there is money in the system. Unfortunately, so much of it goes to the NCAA, uh, making sure schools are kept up to requirements and also making sure that they have lawyers on retainer 365 days a year for when they get challenged in the courts in the United States. Yeah. Uh, Dave, we always appreciate you joining us and bringing some knowledge to the table. No, thank you so much. Uh, There is Dave Zirin. Check out his stuff. The Nation um edge of sports podcast and the collision the 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 craziest part about all this to me is once you opened this door you you preempted the can of worms on equality with title nine and all the things that so for those who don't know there's a scholarship provided for women for every men's scholarship there is out there at every school. So if you don't understand Title IX, that's what it's supposed to do. But you know as well as I do, they'll screw up the equality if they start paying too. And we might not know how that works until that can of worms is opened. And that scares me just as much as anything else. It's almost like the NCAA has built this in so that when you open this can of worms, they can say, hey, look, well, do you know how you're going to pay the women athletes as you are to the men? And just because it's a hard answer, people don't want to walk the road. And we've seen that in all aspects of life, especially in this pandemic. If it's a hard answer, people do not want to walk the road. You're 100% correct. I think the struggle for me is I don't think it's that hard of an answer. Like, if you are a UConn women's basketball player, you generally have more followers on TikTok and Instagram than many of the men's players still playing in this tournament. So if those women were allowed to be influencers with their own IG, if those women were allowed to run basketball camps within their communities, they would be making some money. And we know, unfortunately, that when they become pros, they're not going to be making as much money as the men. Right. So their chance to cash out is literally right now, and they're taking that away from them because they can. Right. There was another part of that, that as you were speaking. It's like, it's just when you peel back one layer of the onion, there's just one more and another and another. But we've run out of time on this. Maybe we'll come back. We've got that. We've got Beyonce. Yes, and we've got course. Last Call right here. On Tim and Friends, wrap it up with Last Call. I wish I could have the drink for Last Call. Yes. Next. On Tim and Friends with Donovan Bennett and Jesse Rubinoff. Tim and friends on Sportsnet, Jesse Rubinoff, Donovan Bennett here with me. And Donovan, just to wrap up, the one thing that I kept going back to was 
the system was broken because the most powerful broke the system by paying athletes to start. And other parts of the system said, hey, it's not fair that the big schools are paying so much money. We need to reel this in. And of course, as is everything in the world these days, the people lowest on the ladder are hurt the most by those who can't control themselves. 100%. Listen, Blue Chips is not a fictional movie. I mean, it was. But players are being paid. And because of that, they're so strict that now no one can get paid, even though players are still being paid under the table. When I was a student athlete quickly in the United States, I wasn't able to work a summer job because they were so afraid that they were going to pay me under the table. So there's no rhyme or reason. There's no logic. And I don't make... And you weren't even playing. I was not playing. I was not good. And I wasn't, and I wasn't worth being paid, to, to, be, to be quite frank. Okay. He got a scholarship. I did not, all right? Let's, let's put that out there. Yeah, and I... I, I, I I'm reticent to make the analogy to slavery because slavery... You didn't have a choice, right? right. Slavery was real and people died. And, and I don't do that lightly, but I do it to draw the analogy that these players, in a, in a way, don't have a choice, and we shouldn't be okay with it. Yeah, you can. I mean, I even have a problem when I see the guy get the scholarship and everyone goes bananas, and we never examine why everyone's going bananas for someone getting a scholarship. And that's because an education in the United States is like $60,000 a year. So when they get that scholarship, the person going crazy realizes. I don't have to work these insane hours. My family doesn't have to work these insane hours just to get me an education. And that's part of the system that's broken in the South that isn't as broken up here. And when people say you're getting a free education, well, one, it's not free. You're working for it. But two, it's not the same education. There are times when you can and can't go to class. Right. The, the kids who are playing in the tournament, they've been away from class for weeks as they've yeah. quarantined. So it's not like you can take, like, you know, a 300 level chemistry class and you're going to tell uh you know jim trestle hey i'm not going to be there pal like that's not how it works <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work that way uh i kept mentioning jesse rubinov's name because i knew that we were taking a lot of his time away for last call so jesse one i apologize and two i hope you get the name recognition the next time you need some name recognition because I shouted you out a couple more times. I just got to say, you're both Beyonce's in my book, okay? Oh, appreciate that. Okay, <laughs> Steph Curry might not be a Beyonce, but you're both Beyonce's in is, my book. You want to do last call? That's Steph, why he is, is the CFO. <laughs> the, the chief friend officer. Love All right, let's kick off last call with a little uh, Canada soccer action. Canada had a chance to take control of their group in the CONCACAF Men's Olympic Qualifying Tournament Monday, but instead their match against Haiti finished in a scoreless draw. Canada will now play Honduras Thursday with the winner taking first place in Group B. Meanwhile, earlier today, Canada Soccer unveiled its roster for the opening matches of 2022 World Cup qualifying, headlined, of course, by Alfonso Davies, but Jonathan David not on the roster due to quarantine rules in France. DJ, are you bullish on the future of Canadian soccer? Yeah, don't love that Jonathan David uh, news, but I, I do. Look at the amount of Canadian kids playing and starting in the MLS, playing in real clubs abroad in Europe, not just, you know, part of the squad, but getting real minutes. Yeah, I, there has never been more elite talent and more depth in the history of soccer in our country. Yeah, it feels like it's trending the right way, but that draw against Haiti hurt me as a mm. Canadian soccer <laughs> fan because you felt like, listen, they're going to have to play Mexico or the United States in a semifinal to get to the Olympics. That's just the way it's going to break down. But it felt like they could take the group and get the better draw if they just beat right. and they had a bunch of chances uh, we'll see if they can pull it off against Honduras or Mexico always making States. it just a little bit difficult oh, it's just, it hurt yeah. the heart if just you are a, a fan 
okay, the Washington football team is considering making the Washington football oh team name permanent. This is according to team president Jason Wright, who said today that fans have warmed to the name, which was originally intended <sighs> as a generic placeholder. Tim, you made a sound when I started talking about this. Do you like this idea no, or No, I pitched it to the entire team before <laughs> we started the show that I was going to do a monologue saying they should just call themselves the Washington football team. Yeah. They could be exactly like the teams in the, uh, the MLS or the Premier League. That It's just football club. They are the Washington football team. And you can market it that way. I was going to do this whole monologue and now it's screwed <laughs> because it looks like they're looking into it themselves and I don't want to give Washington the credit for anything that they do. I love the name. I, but you have to lean into the the right it's the yeah. ohio state exactly the university of western ontario those these are really good let's not give let's the not, washington sorry. football team not that good did you add the western ontario what, what the university <laughs> of western ontario that's western university i mean technically it is but i'm an og i'm still going with uwl all right uh if you guys noticed cinnamon toast crunch has been uh, trending on social media yeah, the last couple days did, you want to know why did, did we, did we what is it I'll, I'll enlighten you uh right. it's because of this tweet by Jensen Karp, who claims to have found shrimp tails in his oh, box God. of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Uh, you can see them right there on the screen. For both of you, how would you react if you found shrimp tails how can you in your cereal? How can you verify that? Oh, this is a whole thing. This has become a real... Like, he's been in contact... is the scam in the book? Didn't, didn't we see this in Strange Brew, where they put mice in the beer bottles, and then they returned the beer bottles back to Creamore Springs, or whatever the hell the name of... Elsinore Springs, and then this is like this is one of the oldest scams in the book. But it, it, would you go shrimp tails if you're doing this game? <laughs> like, like, you just that's really there. specific. You just had them there. You just finished <laughs> smashing shrimp and you put them beside, take a picture, all of a sudden 80,000 retweets because people are morons. Very that's skeptical. a good. I mean, that's Very a good skeptical. take. I, I, I'm reading a lot about Jensen Carp's story here, and it seems to be legit. I'm just saying, it seems to be legit. But those How are some nasty know? looking shrimp tails. It seems to be legit. We got like 20 <laughs> seconds left. How does it seem to be legit? Three so forensic artists have verified. They, they followed it. They followed up, and and we'll have to dig deeper for the following episode. He's episodes. got answers. We'll have yes. an investigation next All episode. Right. That <laughs> tomorrow on Tim and Friends. Donovan, thank you. Jesse, thank you. Thank you, Tim. Talk to you tomorrow.